If you have your Bible, we're going to be in two primary places. So I'm going to have you turn to Colossians 3.21 and then put your finger there and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And we're going to be in those two places primarily, a couple of other places as well. But, but if you have your finger in those two places, that'll be primarily where we'll be camped at this morning. And our message is entitled, Requirements of a Father. And I know what some of you are thinking. It's Father's Day and you do the, the token Father's Day sermon. So all the dads need to pay attention. And all the wives and all the mothers and all the kids can go to sleep or doodle or whatever they want. Can I tell you, this sermon is not about how to be a good father. Now, there are aspects to it that we will learn about being a good father, but, but, but I, I didn't want to do a message, and typically I try not to do messages that are only targeted to specific people and leave everyone else out. So mothers, you have to stay awake this morning, okay? You also have to stay awake because I need you to keep your husbands awake this morning. So as they start dozing off because it's Father's Day and they're prone to do, kids, you have my permission, if your dad's eyes are closed, to just jab him in the ribs a little bit, okay? Um, We're going to be looking at the requirements of a father, and, and certainly it is geared towards fathers on Father's Day. But this is the requirements of a, a mother as well in a, a lot of sense. The the requirements of a child and how to interact with your family in another sense. The requirements of who God is as our Father in a greater sense. And so as we look at the requirements of a father this morning, in Colossians 3.21, in Ephesians 6.4, I want us to all be engaged in focus on what the Lord would teach us. So let's begin by reading Colossians 3.21. It's a short, sweet verse in the midst of... All the instructions Paul has to the church in Colossae on family matters, he gets to fathers, and in one verse he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. There's a lot Paul says to husbands, a lot Paul says to wives, he addresses children, he addresses the whole family structure, but here he has one verse that he wants to communicate to fathers. And didn't you imagine if Paul could say one thing to dads? Don't you figure he'd say something profound and important like, Dads, be there for your kids. Dads, go to all their games. Dads, make sure you're, you're disciplining your children properly. Dads, be sure you're, you're being the strong father figure in their life. Of all the things that Paul can say and sum up in one verse, this is what Paul wants to say to the fathers in Colossae. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I didn't pull this up in the New Living Translation. It's kind of a paraphrase, but I would imagine if you have a paraphrase, it may say something like this. Fathers, stop telling dad jokes, okay? Stop provoking your children. Dads, you don't have to make a comment every time the waiter or waitress comes by. Dad, stop being so annoying, right? I I would imagine Paul is saying, if there's one thing I can communicate, one thing I can tell dads, don't provoke your children, (laughs) all right? Be easy on them. Don't be so hard on them. Don't be so dad-like for just a moment, right? And listen to the tag that Paul adds. Don't provoke your children. Some translations say, don't exasperate. Don't wear out your children, lest they become discouraged. We're going to look at how we can discourage our kids a little later on, but I want to keep this thought in mind. Paul's words are a negative word to fathers. It's not do this, do that. It's fathers, don't do this. 
Don't provoke your kids. Don't exasperate your children. Don't discourage them. In Ephesians, he has a a similar word to the church in Ephesus. And in case you think it's only the church in Colossae that tells dad jokes, it's not. Dad jokes are universal, and so Paul has a similar word to the church in Ephesus. Fathers, same phrase. Do not provoke your children to anger. So he adds a little bit extra there. And then he gives a positive encouragement. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you go back, and I would encourage you to read the book of Ephesians, especially in chapter 5, there's instructions for husbands, there's instructions for wives, there's instructions for, for in chapter 6, children, there's instructions for fathers and mothers, for, for workers, for, for every relationship you can imagine, Paul wants to address. And for fathers, he stops on this one thing. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I don't want to water down the Word of God this morning. This verse specifically is addressed to fathers. That doesn't mean that mothers don't fall into this same category. It doesn't mean that mothers aren't responsible for bringing up their children in discipline or that mothers should not be involved in their kids' instruction. They most certainly should. And there are specific examples in scripture of godly women disciplining and instructing their children and rightly so but fathers while this whole sermon is not only for you it is definitely specifically written by god here in colossians chapter 3 and ephesians chapter 6 it is addressed to you fathers do not provoke your children to anger fathers bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I had about 12 different working titles before I settled on the requirements of a father and responsibilities of a father. I had the dads, you need to be a hero to your kids type message. I almost had a whole PowerPoint with like a superhero theme in the background and thought, let's talk about how dads need to step up and, and be the men that God calls them to be. But as I read what Paul is writing, God's very words through Paul to the church in Colossae and the church in Ephesus. Paul is not writing, dads, be a superhero. Paul is not writing, you have to have all these qualifications to be a dad. Paul is not writing, check all these things off the list. Paul is saying the requirements are simple. There's just a few things you need to do to be a good father. There's just a few things you need to do to be a godly parent. It's not this long, exhaustive list. Sometimes when when we're holding our newborn baby in our arms, we look and we go, I wish it came with an instruction manual. God said, I've got just a few things you need to know. Just a few things that will help you out. Every child is different, and so there's no one-size-fits-all instruction manual. But man, there are a few things that Paul wants to highlight that if we will do, we will be God-honoring parents. We'll be God-honoring children to our parents. And so this morning, if you have your bulletin, we're going to look at requirements that Paul says we should have to be good fathers and also then to be good parents. The first thing Paul wants us to know, or the first thing we're going to look at, is that, that we should train our children. So the requirements of a father would be to train your child, to teach them and train them. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul writes, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Instruct your children. You have a responsibility, dads, to be their teacher. Now, this doesn't mean you have to teach them all their subjects in school. If so, most of our kids would be ignorant in the ways of English or math or science or whatever we're slow on. It's not fathers, teach your children educational principles. Instead, fathers, bring your children up in the instruction of the Lord. Teach them the things of the Word of God. Show them what Scripture says read it to them, and tell them how they are supposed to live. This is a a big responsibility, but it has a huge payoff. I mean, a giant payoff at the end. There's a verse in Proverbs that gives us a promise. Now, uh, we're going to read this verse and explain it a little bit, but this should give mom and dad hope in this calling to train your children up in the instruction of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This verse has been misused so often that that I want to clarify, this does not mean if you are godly parents raising your kids in godly ways that they somehow miraculously will turn out to be perfect angels when they get older. Your children, just like you are, and just like the generation after them, have sinful hearts and have to make their own decisions. But the promise in Proverbs, the principle in Proverbs, is that if you train your child up in the things of the Word of God, They will stick with them for the rest of their lives. Will they obey them? They have to decide that. Will they follow after Christ? They'll have to make that decision. But one thing you can stand confidently in is that if you train your children up in the instruction of the Lord, when they grow old, that teaching will not leave them. I know personally of people who were brought up as as faithful Christian families, raised in the church, baptized in the church, had their name on a roll, and now don't even believe in God at all. But you know those people that I talk to, they can quote scripture, and it's amazing how often some of these individuals say, I was brought up in the instruction of the Lord, and while I don't believe it, doesn't the Bible say, and man, yes, that's exactly right. God's word is still implanted in their heart. The fact that Scripture has been taught to them as a child means while they may have strayed from God, God's Word has not strayed from them. The promise in Scripture is if you train your children in the things of the Word of God as they grow up, they will not depart from God's Word. Their lives may falter, but God's Word will not. So the the promise is if you will be faithful, God's Word will be faithful. How do we go about this? How how are we supposed to share this with our our children? What are the principles then? Is there a curriculum that we need to teach them? Is there a special Bible study we need to take our kids through? Some denominations have some sort of formal training. All kids must go through, and when they reach a certain age, they either take a test or they're presented before the church, and they get a certificate, and they're marked. You have been confirmed as godly children who have gone through our program. Do you know that's not a, a biblical principle? It's not a bad thing per se. It's nice to have biblical training and, and formal training, but, but the principle we're given in Scripture actually looks a little bit different. It's a little less formal. 
It's not a, let me teach you these 13 lessons. Instead, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21, and I've kind of summarized it here, tells us exactly what this might look like to train our children up. Moses writes, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart. The word of God should be in dad, mom, should be in your heart. And when it's in your heart, you shall teach them to your children. Teach what you already have in your heart. It says, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied. And this idea of writing them on the doorpost is for all to see. To put them on your, your gates is so that everyone, including your children, know what the truth of God's word is. Now, this is not a 12-step, a 13-step, six-session, whatever study that you may be looking for. Instead, here are the principles to train your children. One, lay the words up of mine in your heart. Mom, Dad, you have to know the Bible. I, I mean, you have to study it yourself. You, you can't rely on someone else to learn it, and then you, you let them teach. No. The calling here is you shall therefore lay up these words of mine, these words of Scripture in your heart. Can I tell you why we have a generation of children who don't know the Word of God? Because the generation before them didn't take time to learn it themselves. It's not too late to start learning. It's not too late to start reading for yourself. Your children may be grown, but you have grandchildren. Your, your children may still be old enough that they are already forming their own opinions. Maybe they're middle school, high school age, but, but they're still looking to see what you know. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart. You have to know the word of God yourself if you're going to train someone else. And then once you have it mastered in your heart, you shall teach them to your children. Now, now this teaching and this training feels like a big task, but it's not. Notice what's being taught. All you have to teach is what's already in your heart. Can I tell you, this is going to happen naturally. What you love and are passionate about is naturally going to come out. I have a, a family of five. Me, my wife, two daughters, and a son all of which love the University of Kentucky with all of their hearts and with all of their soul and with all of their mind. Why do they love Kentucky? Well, truth be told, the girls are eh about it. But you know what? They're not wearing any other colleges. <laughs> they don't have any Illini, Illini stuff. They don't. They're not wearing stuff from some other school. When they want to wear a sports shirt, when we have our sports Sunday in January, they want to wear their Kentucky stuff. Every once in a while, when, when dad's getting especially heated over a basketball game, Ashton will come down with a, a banner. It usually says something like, Go Kentucky, and a corner says, Boo Duke. That's normally what it says on it, because we're training her up in the way she should go. But, but here's the deal. I did not ever sit down with any of my kids and go, Okay, let's practice this. Go Big Blue, right? I'm going to teach you the first thing you're going to learn how to spell is cats. C-A-T-S. Cats, cats, cats. Right? That's, that's not how it worked. Even with my son Josiah, he absolutely loves Kentucky. The logo of Kentucky, he goes crazy over. If you ask him, where's it go cats? Oh, he'll be looking for it. He's looking for it right now. He loves the logo. Did I sit down and brainwash him with flashcards? No, I promise you I did not. 
Although, no, I, I did not. You know why my family is a Kentucky family? Because they've seen dad watch games. Because they've, they've seen me get passionate about it. They've seen me wear the shirts. They've, they've listened to me talk about players. I've recalled stories of the past on games that I've attended or games that I've watched. And, and while it's not necessarily my girl's favorite thing in the world, they've developed a genuine love for the school just because their dad loves Kentucky. No formal training needed. Well, what would it look like if we had that kind of love and passion for the Word of God? What if instead of trying to figure out in our minds, how am I going to teach this to my kids, our kids just looked at how we talked about the Word of God. Son, daughter, let me tell you what I read this morning. You won't believe this, but, but God was so, so angry with the people on earth that He sent this worldwide flood to, to eliminate them all. But He saved eight of them. And God's salvation just shone through. It was such a beautiful picture. What if we said, let me tell you a story about when I was a kid and I really struggled with this bully at school and and I was really hurting, but I remembered this verse that came to my mind and and I remembered how I was supposed to treat my enemies. And and let me tell you the story of a time in in your mom and I's life where where we were struggling with this or or where we were rejoicing in that. Let me tell you about how God worked in my life here, what God did in my life there. What if instead of having to get a curriculum, we just laid up the words of God in our heart. And our children could see our passion so much so that they, they learned it from us. The problem is we've not taken the word of God and written it on our doorposts or on our gates. We've taken the word of God and we've digested a little bit on Sunday morning and we've stuck it away in a corner. It's not a priority. It's not a passion of ours. And so when, when we're called to train our children, we're, we're nervous and we're frightened and we're scared because we don't know what to say and how to do it. Can I tell you, training your children is easy. Your children are going to learn whatever you do. Period. I have to laugh all the time. I, I get so, uh, laugh is not the right word, discouraged. And parents who who ask themselves, I don't know why my teenage child is drinking. I can't figure it out. I, they, they know that you're not supposed to drink till you're 21. or They, they know that, that these are the rules, and this is what the Word of God says. And, and the question I always ask is, do you drink in front of your children? And, and some parents go, but I don't get drunk. Or I don't. That's all well and good. And, and by the way, this isn't a sermon on alcohol, but the question is, Have you shown your children what someone who drinks looks like? Well, I mean, apparently, your children want to be like you. So if you smoke, guess what? They want to smoke. Maybe they don't physically think, I I want to be just like my dad. If you drink, guess what? Your children go, this is what adults do, and this is what my parents do, and I want to be like that. If you're an obsessive gambler or, or have vices, guess what? Your children look at that, and they want that. But the flip side, the flip side to that is if you're passionate about godly things, if you love church, and I don't just mean love love the building or or make yourself come, but if you go, I love worship, your children grow up and they go, man, mom and dad were passionate about worship. That's something I want to be a part of. If you 
If you make the word of God a priority, the training of your children will come naturally. It happens. And there'll be times that you sit down specifically and instruct and you have a a study or a program, but most of the training and most of the teaching comes because you have laid up the words of God in your heart. The first requirement of a father is that you train your child and you cannot do that unless you yourself are dedicated to being trained in the Lord. It's also required of of fathers and parents that we correct our children. A requirement of a father is to correct your child. That's why we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, again, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline. And it's not just in punishment, or it's not just in, in discipline in general, but let's not forget that last little prepositional phrase that's separated by a few words. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Boy, it's so important that we remember this. We're going to tie that in when we get to provoking our children to anger. But, but you have a responsibility, fathers and mothers. But dads, you have a responsibility to bring your children up in discipline. There's a verse that has a really nasty connotation to it. As a matter of fact, most of the time when this verse is read, it's read in the King James Version, and it's used by some crazy out there preacher to talk about how we ought to all be beating our children into submission, and the mainstream culture has taken this verse, and they've said, what a horrible, wicked verse, and Christians are horrible and wicked. And can I tell you, that's not what this verse is saying. Let's read this verse in the book of Proverbs, verse 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline the emphasis seems to always be spare the rod spoil the child if you don't whoop your kids oh they're never going to behave do you know this verse isn't about spanking at all (laughs) not even a little bit this verse isn't about about punishing your kids physically in the least bit but it is about disciplining Now, whether you are one who spanks or doesn't spank, that's not what this message is about. Some families choose to to physically discipline in a godly manner. Some parents choose not to in a godly manner. This isn't a parenting course. Instead, this is a reminder of what we're called to do. Whoever spares the discipline of his son, listen to the strong wording, hates his son. To not discipline your children, to not correct your children, means it's a a hatred of your children. And then the emphasis then should be that second half, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline his son. It's an act of love that you discipline your children. I I said this message was for all. We have a few children that are still sitting in here that were too old for Sunday school or for for children's church, I mean. Uh, Or or maybe they just decided to stay in here, which is just fine. Children, can I I tell you something? This is a a quick, this this is your children's sermon of the day. If your godly parents discipline you, it's not because they're mad at you. If your godly parents discipline you, it's because they love you. Believe it or not, your mom and your dad want what's best for you. And any sort of discipline is an act of of love. It's kind of like this. Can you imagine, and just for a minute, picture that you really, really, really want to take a fork and stick it in a a live socket. We've got some some contracts, some electricians in here. Odie, what would happen if we took a piece of metal and shoved it into a live socket? How would that feel? You'd do it one time, yeah. 
If your child, just imagine for a minute, said, that's what I want to do more than anything, and you as a parent got through to them by smacking their hand away from that outlet. That would hurt. Why did you smack my hand? Why did you pull me away? I was going towards something I wanted to do, and a parent says, I love you too much to let you do that. It's not always something so obviously dangerous, but believe it or not, moms and dads often rationalize in our minds, this is what I know is best for you. And can I just tell you, kids, sometimes it takes too long to explain it all. (laughs) It just does. Listen, you don't want to hear all this, but when I was a kid, I did this, and this is the result, and this is what happened, and I know better because I've experienced it. Instead, it's just don't do it, okay? It's just easier to say, trust me, don't do it. Parents, Sometimes we don't want to smack our child's hand away because sometimes the dangers aren't so obviously evident. And so we have a desire to to be a little lenient and to just kind of give in just a little bit. Sometimes, quite honestly, and I can confess to this, it's just not worth dealing with the temper tantrum. It's just not worth dealing with the fight. And so the temptation then is to, to back off and say, fine, make your own decisions and you'll find out for yourself. Whoever spares the discipline, the rod, (laughs) hates his son. But he who does the hard work and is diligent to discipline him, he loves his son. We we read kind of an emphasis on this in Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord himself reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. God's discipline in our life is benevolent. It's loving. A father should delight in his son and therefore disciplines his son. And our heavenly father, oh, he loves us too much to not discipline us when we do wrong. If a perfect God, a perfect father would discipline his children, how much more so are you dads called to be diligent and faithful, not to give up the fight? But to know what's right and wrong and teach your children what is right. To correct them when they make mistakes. Finally, we're we're called not only to correct our children, but we should be encouraging of our children. Encourage your child. Fathers, be an encouraging figure in your children's lives. We read in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't be annoying. Don't provoke them. Don't poke them. Don't discourage them. And we read it again in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't do things that will tear them down. Do things that will build them up. Be an encourager of your children. What are some ways that we might provoke our children to anger? What are some things that we might do dads in particular, that really get under the skin of our children. I want to tell you, I've got a a few things I'll mention here, but this is not an exhaustive list. There are literally tens of thousands of things we can do to provoke our children to anger. The best thing you can do, dads, don't do it on Father's Day. Have a pleasant Father's Day. Do it tomorrow. Ask your children, what are some things that dad does that really make you angry? What are some things that I do that, that cause you to to really resent me as a father. There are a few things I think you'll hear, right? Some of them will be, I do that because I love you. If your child looks at you and says, I hate it when you discipline me and get on to me, you can go back and read to them these verses in in Proverbs. Here's why I do that, because I don't want you sticking a fork in a light socket. 
Because I don't want you making mistakes that I know you can avoid. Then other things I think will be convicting. There's some ways that I've learned I provoke my children. I think a lot of times it's, it's unfairness. It's treating one child different from another without really get under your kid's skin. It's when we, we have a double standard either within our family or within our society. As a pastor, I, I run into this all the time and I, I get convicted. I, I tell my family, I, I can listen to everyone's kid in the sanctuary make all the noise they want to make and it doesn't phase me at all. It doesn't bother me in the least, but that doesn't mean guys you can talk. You listen to your parents, but it doesn't bother me. I don't care. Man, I can hear every time a whisper or a baby's cry comes from my family section. I can, I mean, it, and I'm quick to snap the fingers and get their attention. Why? It's not okay for you to make a peep. Oh, everybody else can make whatever noise they want to make, but you, you don't. This is a double standard my, my family sees. Well, why can they do that and we can't? I have to look at my own heart and say, am I holding my kids to a different standard than I am other kids? Am I doing things that are that are harder on them, that are unfair? Sometimes it's within the family, right? It's, it's Callie, you can't do this, but Ashton got to. Now, sometimes there's, everybody doesn't get what everybody gets, but sometimes I have to go, you know what? You're right. I said yes to her and no to you for no other reason other than I just felt like saying no this time. Is that unfair? Absolutely. That's a conviction. We can provoke our children to anger by unfairness. How else can we provoke our children to anger? What about by favoritism? Now, do you have a favorite kid? Don't say anything. Don't raise your hand. Don't point. Don't look. Of course we don't have favorite kids, right? We love all our kids the same. Our kids see through that. Can I just say our our kids see through that? Because there are families who have favorites, and and you can see it. As a matter of fact, some of you wouldn't say this about your own family because you normally don't recognize in yourself. But some of you can look at other families and go, oh, we know who's a favorite there. (laughs) By the way, um, I don't have favorites among my kids. I love them all equally, okay? Just so you guys know that, I love you equally. But there are times that I show favoritism to one child or another. It's not intentional, and it's not fair. There are times I do things for Callie that leaves Ashton out. There are times I do things for Ashton, and, and Callie wants to know why she can't have I show favoritism to to Josiah because he's the son and he's the baby. And I have to convict myself and say, why am I doing things for some and not the other? Sometimes it's not favoritism within a family. Sometimes it's comparison to other people. Sometimes it's, it's, why can't you be more like this friend or that friend? You get that dreaded Christmas letter, right? And you're reading about the family. Of course, everybody writes just about the good things of their family. Why can't you be more like cousin so-and-so? Sometimes you don't have to say, why don't you have to be more like? Sometimes you just, you find yourself pointing out things you want your kids to pick up on. Well, you know, so-and-so made A's and B's. I'm just throwing that out there. You don't have to say, would you be like? Instead, what you're telling that child is, is this person set the standard up here and you're not meeting it. You're not good enough. We provoke our children by showing favoritism to people, don't we? Well, we can provoke our children in so many different ways, and maybe you just need to sit down and ask, well, what are some things I do that make you angry? And if there are things that you have to keep doing, sometimes you'll make your kids angry. You'll say, you're going to be angry, and you're going to have to deal with it, right? But other times, you have to examine your own heart and say, am I provoking you this way? Do I need to change the way I'm parenting so that I, I'm not holding you to a different standard? 
Sometimes our children's act of rebellion isn't an act of rebellion at all. It's just a unique showing off of their personality. But because they don't do things the way we think they should do them, we immediately assume they're rebellious children. Alistair Begg gives a great example in a a sermon he's preached on fathers recently where he talks about a, a young girl who comes down with two different color socks on. And immediately, this struck me because my girls love to wear two different color socks. Absolutely love to. Drives me nuts. Now, now there's two ways to look at a little girl who comes downstairs with two different color socks on. The way I've always looked at it, and they've learned this, I've provoked them to anger, is, why can't you find matching socks? Go put on two matching socks. Or what's even worse is when you come down with just one sock on. You got one foot cold, one foot warm. Put on two socks, right? You rebellious child, go put on your socks. But how many of our kids come downstairs with two different socks on because they creatively thought in their mind, I really like a blue and an orange sock. I would really love these two. I think they'd be fun today. They're not thinking in their mind, I want to get under dad's skin. I want to rebel against mom. They're thinking, I'm creative and this looks fun. In their little three or four-year-old mind, all they want to do is dress themselves. And they come downstairs and the first thing we do is provoke them to anger by squelching their creativity and saying, how dare you come down with mismatched socks. Now, to be sure, if you sent your child upstairs and said, go upstairs and put on your two blue socks, and they come downstairs defiantly with a a red sock and a yellow sock, that's disobedience, and you have every right to discipline that. But have we ever thought sometimes we discipline, not because our child's rebellious, but because they don't think the way we think? Don't provoke your children to anger. Encourage your children. Ask yourself, are they being rebellious or are they being individuals? Children, this doesn't give you a pass just to say I'm trying to be unique. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's important that you know this. There's a, a few verses geared towards you. In Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If mom and dad say, this is what I want you to do, they know it's best for you and you're called to do it. Not to ex- exhibit some creativity in your own thinking. If mom and dad need you to do a task... You are to set aside your own thoughts, your own creativity, your own will, and say, if that's what you need me to do, that's what I'll do. But parents, can we, can we encourage our children instead of assuming the worst? Can we build them up instead of tearing them down? When they come off the ball field, instead of pointing out every error they made or, or how they can correct their batting stance or, or trying to, to fix everything that's wrong with their performance, can we just stop for a moment and say, good game? Can we just, just be parents who embrace the individuality of our children and encourage their gifts? Paul says it's not real hard to be a dad. Oh, sure, there's a lot of things that are hard about being a father, but the requirements are not a long list. Know the Word of God and teach it to your children. Discipline them to make sure they do what is right. And encourage them, lift them up, don't assume the worst, and tear them down. As we think about the requirements of our earthly father, can we remember that that we're only earthly fathers because we're shadows of a heavenly father? And what we're modeling to our children is what God, our heavenly father, is to us. I wonder how many of us look at our heavenly father with disdain because our earthly father provoked us to anger. Because we see things about our our dads that we don't like and we project that on a a perfect God. Can I tell you this morning, 
Your heavenly Father is not a God whose desire is to provoke you to anger. His desire is to train you and to teach you in the instruction of the Lord. Oh, His desire is to discipline you, make you mad sometimes because He knows what's right for you. His desire is that you, you live according to His will because as Jesus Christ walked on this earth, He's been where you've been and He knows what you need to know. We serve a Heavenly Father whose desire is not to punish us and to tear us down, but to encourage us and to lift us up. We serve a Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He would sacrifice His own Son so that you could be called His son or His daughter. One of this morning on Father's Day, if instead of trying to figure out how we can be the best version of Dad that we can be, if we looked at our Heavenly Father and said we already have the example of a perfect Father, one of this morning, if we can follow the advice of Ephesians 6 1, and as children of God, submit to obey our Heavenly Father, confessing the, the wrong sins that we've had in our past and asking for forgiveness, clinging to, to the cross of Christ, which promises to erase our sin and make us new creation. This morning, I wonder if we can submit to a perfect Father so that we can be better fathers and mothers to our children. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you this morning on Father's Day knowing that you are a good and perfect Father to us. Lord, we confess that we fall short, greatly fall short in instructing and teaching our children. Lord, make us passionate about your word so that our children will be passionate about your word. Lord, we confess to you that sometimes it's easier to be lazy in our discipline and not fight the fight. Make us diligent to bring our children up in the discipline of the Lord. Lord, help us not to provoke our children to anger. Lord, let's be encouraging of them and loving of them. Lord, correcting them and making them mad to be sure, but, but having their best interest in, in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you're a perfect example of this. As a father who, who cares for us so much that you provided a way for us to have a right relationship with you. Lord, on Father's Day, let us not forget the sacrifice that you made as a father, sending your son jesus christ to this earth to take the place of our mistakes and our sin to to bear our guilt so that we can be called your children lord let us submit to you this morning father we pray that as we celebrate dads today that we would celebrate above all else you as our perfect heavenly father it's in your name we pray amen